Hello and welcome to CX Today. My name is Charlie and today I'm delighted to be joined by Liz Miller, VP and Principal Analyst at Constellation Research. Liz, it's, uh, thank you very much for joining us. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm, I am doing great and thank you so much for having me. I love, I love being here with you. You know that. Excellent. And yeah, it's great to have you uh, join us uh, once again, and especially to discuss this uh, really big news, actually, which came out um, yesterday at the time of filming this. Uh, and that is that Avaya has um, emerged from its bankruptcy after, I think it was yeah. 76 days uh, after it was first announced. Um, so yeah, just, I guess the first question for you is simply, what are your uh, top takeaways from the announcement? You know, I, I think that my my top takeaway is that Avaya did what it said it was going to do. And I think that's probably the most important thing for Avaya's current customers, right? Because I think that there was a lot of uncertainty when the the news was first, I mean, because we had a kind of an odd cadence, right? The news was kind of first leaked, kind of eased us into the idea at the end of 2022 that this was going to happen, or at least was a possibility. So when they announced that they had um, gone into Chapter 11 proceedings and were looking to restructure their debt uh, through the courts, uh, there was a sense of, okay, should Avaya customers should be nervous? Like, should we, should we be a little worried that this might not go the way Avaya has said it's going to go. And so I think it's really important that they said that it was going to be a 60 to 90 day time period. It was going to be a very fast proceeding to restructure this debt and to restructure where uh, the finances were. And that we're, we're about the 72 mark, right? So is, was it a 60 on the nose? No, but was it 90? No. Did it go beyond that? No. So I, I think that it's really important, at least for me to say, okay, they did what the, they said that we're going to do. And now we need to start looking towards the future. What's that next road mark? What's that next kind of point at which they said something was going to happen? And did they reach that marker? Yeah, absolutely. As you said, it was kind of towards the back end of 2022. It was a slow drip feed of bad news almost it was. Um, until we got to it was. until we got that to that point. Um, but yeah, it's great that they've um, emerged from that now. I think they have like 600 million of liquidity um, to use, and their debts their debts have been slashed almost by two thirds or, some, or something like that. Yes. Um, but it does make you think this isn't the first time they've gone through a chapter 11 bankruptcy. Do you feel more optimistic this time around than you did back in 2017? Yeah, that's a great question. I do, to be honest with you, because I think this was a very different beast. There was a lot more uncertainty uh, you know, the first time. And I think that what we saw in the lead up to this filing were a lot of acquisitions, a lot of spend, a lot of kind of investment into things that were almost going counter to where the industry was taking us, i.e. to the cloud. And there was almost this misplaced defiance of, no, we're going to do this the Avaya way. And I think the thought through a lot of our heads was, yeah, but the Avaya way landed us in court last time. You know, like this, this kind of wasn't maybe the right path to go. And, and a lot of the same behaviors were reemerging. So I, I think that this time it's very much a shortened time period. Um, if we remember the previous uh, bankruptcy filing, I believe it was about a year to a year and a half um, that they were in this renegotiation. However, I think that you know, with with the new leadership team, 
there was a sense of we are going to go do this with a sense of precision. We're going to pre-negotiate uh, with our debt holders. We are going to have this conversation in the open to some degree. So you're, you're right. It was this kind of very slow drip of bad news that was really a downer, like towards the end of 2022, when we were like, I think a lot of folks, and, and if you kind of landed on the more pessimistic side of conversation, there was a sense that this is it. Like end of 2022, this is going to be the end of Avaya. And so then if you capped that with, okay, they did actually go to court, it was really easy to land on that side of the street. But I think for, for those of us who were, were not only speaking with the executives, but speaking with Avaya customers, there wasn't a sense of panic. And I think that was the biggest difference in that in 2017, there was a sense of, okay, what are we supposed to do? Like, what are we we're in this, like we are in this, what are we gonna do? I think that this time there wasn't that sense of, okay, we've got a brace, this is gonna be really bad. So yeah. I, I think that this was more of a slow roll to reorganization. It wasn't where a lot of people wanted Avaya to be, but I think it was the smartest path for them. Um, I think the critical days are going to be the next 90 days, the next 120 days, but it, it was very different. Yeah, absolutely. I think, as you say there, actually, they released um, sort of a pack a, th a few months ago, and it still shows they have, I think, 90 of the 40, oh, the Fortune 100 companies still under their umbrella, which is quite incredible, actually, considering yeah. uh, everything that's happened in the past um, few years. And they have a huge base of uh, legacy customers, which have stayed huge. Um, that loyal. But do you think this saga may impact Avaya's attractiveness as a CCAS uh, migration partner when a lot of these legacy uh, customers eventually move away from on-premise? You know, I, I think the reality here is, if we're being pragmatic, the reason why so many of those customers have stayed isn't necessarily a deep binding love mm. of the brand. I think it's the reality here is, is that a lot of on-premise customers remain on-prem for a reason. And whether that reason is because they believe they need to stay on-prem because of the complexity of their business, because regulatory demands on their business, whatever, you know, there, there's a lot of folks that sit in that category. But there are also a lot of folks that have built so many really, truly complex, interwoven customizations to their system that looking at that and saying, oh, well, I'm just going to move it to the cloud. It's not that easy. You know, there, there's no magic wand that just moves you to the cloud. And I think that we're learning that across all industries. If you look at any industry, not just necessarily UCAS and CCAS, right? If we look across the entirety of CX and wonder why are people still on on-prem ERP? is because it's really complex to move, right? It's really hard to unbind all of those complications, all of those customizations. So I think the reality here is that what has happened between the first bankruptcy proceeding and yesterday's announcement, or their, their current state with Avaya, is that it's not so much that the, the customization and the complexity of their on-prem instance has changed, I think the mindset has changed. You've got more customers saying, oh, wait a minute, I can move to cloud. I can make this shift. I just don't necessarily want to lift and shift in one motion, right? It's not this idea of, 
oh, I'm just going to move from here to there. It's not a proximity issue. So I think that people are taking their time and they're wanting to see what workloads, what systems, what areas of their entirety, op entirety of their contact center, the entirety of their communication system, what can we start to move? And who does it make sense to move? Avaya is in an interesting position in that conversation because they know their customers deeply. They also understand why those customizations came to be, that there are processes on the customer's side, right? A lot of customizations are because the customer has operational workflows. The customer has operational patterns. They're just working a certain way, right? And you're not going to get that old dog to make, you know, to, to try a new trick all of a sudden. So I think a bias of in a really interesting position to be that shepherd to show their on-prem customers how they don't necessarily have to move everything all at once. Mm. You can start to move specific workloads. You can move operations that make sense. Um, so I, I think they're in a very interesting position. They're also in a very precarious position because I think that, you know, they do not necessarily have the reputation today of being the most innovative, of being the forward leading cloud pioneers. Like they, they, they do not have that pole position. So I think it's going to be really, really important, certainly across 2023, to not necessarily try to occupy that position they can't buy their way into being the front runner at innovation. What they can do, however, is remain the trusted partner, hmm. the partner that meets its goals, that says what they're going to do, that is transparent in their roadmap, that doesn't use the aspirational, oh, all of a sudden we're all AI, but oh, by the way, it's not going to be here for another two years. Like, don't, don't be that partner, <laughs> right? You've got to be the partner that is very transparent and says what you're going to do, and then you do exactly what you said you were going to do and meet every single deadline to do it. And that is a very, very tall operational order for Avaya. But, you know, I think that, the, you know, so far in Q1, they've hit their roadmap from a technology perspective. What they say they are announcing, they have announced and is available and is you know, there is a real tangible product for their customers. And then I think the bankruptcy proceeding is just kind of another chapter in that. But it's going to be interesting because, you know, they, they can't be the new shiny kid on the block. They're, they miss that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I really liked your analogy, actually, of being the shepherd almost uh, into the uh, CCAS space. Now, that very much does align with their vision. Obviously, they've got their on-premise, they've got their CCAS, but they also have this hybrid, I think it's called innovation without disruption that strategy yes. to take parts of the on-premise and move them into the cloud slowly. And I think that does seem like the logical approach is the approach they're very much going for. So that would almost give you hope. And I thought it was actually interesting as well as they announced a new board and somebody from that board was from uh, Genesis, somebody who left Genesis, the name eludes me uh, now. Yeah. Yeah. The board's super interesting, and and I will say that the board also includes the chief marketing officer from Teradata. Hmm. So you have someone who is not only a seasoned marketing, and I would argue seasoned marketing and experience leader um, of multiple organizations, but you have someone who is deeply, deeply connected to the world of data. And that is going to be the next battleground. In fact, it probably it likely is already the next battleground. I think we tend to focus a lot on 
calls and agents and dashboards. But the reality is what's happening in the rest of the enterprise is this mad search for data, right? We are looking for that better understanding of what is happening to our business and our operations. We're also trying to figure out what is going on with our customer. And across CCAS and arguably across UCAS as well, we have this trove of data that has not necessarily been actioned upon or brought into the rest of the organization. It has been used in contact center. It has been used in service, but it hasn't necessarily been deployed across the organization. So I think it's a really interesting board that's you know been brought together because now you have this voice that can come out of data and really say, hey, that's actually not what's happening. You know, like that's that's actually not, hey, this is what's happening. And, you know, and Teradata itself has gone through not only kind of a, a re, uh, you know, reimagining of what and who Teradata is for this modern age, but they're very successfully now rebuilding that business. So I think it's a really interesting shift to bring very new voices to the board. I also think, these are voices that are going to challenge. Yeah. You know, these are these are not voices that are going to be passive and just sit idly by and say, "Oh, great, you're a via. You know, <laughs> you've been doing this for so long. Keep doing it." You know, I, I don't I don't think that's what they sought out. I think they sought out individuals that were going to challenge the status quo. I do think the addition of someone you know of kind of former Genesis is quite interesting because I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of chatter, especially amongst my colleagues um, that love to pick up on some of the things that Genesis is saying about how many customers they pick up from Avaya, right? I think it, it's this like, there's this really kind of familiar conversation circle that happens and it, and it goes a little something like, you know, this is how many customers I picked up from Avaya, but that's great. There's another conversation that's happening in the market, which is this is how many customers I picked up from Genesis. Like there's there there, there tend to be two or three logos. Like this is how many I picked up from Cisco. Well, this is how many I picked up from Avaya. Well, this is how many I picked up from Genesis. So there's it's it ends up being this oddly circular discussion of mm. who picked up whose logos. Um, so I do think that's that's it's interesting to bring in someone who is so deeply understanding of the competitive set. Um, so, you know, I think we have people who are going to challenge the direction. I think we have people who are going to challenge the sales and engagement motion. Um, and I think that clearly with their new leadership team and, and with their new CEO, it's people who are going to look for a far more pragmatic approach to re-envisioning who Avaya is going to be in 2024, as opposed to let's keep looking out, you know, let's, what's Avaya 2040? It's like, let's get to 2024. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it kind of, you, you mentioned you, you gave some really great insights about the new board of directors. And I guess that's another reason for optimism. You know, we talked about reasons for optimism earlier is that this time it is a completely different board of directors leading, uh, leading this charge. Um, but I kind of think maybe the best place um, sort of uh, conclude this discussion uh, would be simply to ask you kind of in your opinion, what must Avaya do to maintain its status uh, from now on into the future to maintain its status as an enterprise communication store and yeah. avoid a bankruptcy 3.0, I guess. Yeah, oh God. <laughs> avoid overspending. Yeah, like uh, more yeah. than anything, do not land in chapter 11 proceedings <laughs> a third time. 
in 10 years. Uh, probably the number one piece of advice that I have. Uh, no, it, it, you know, in all seriousness, Charlie, I think that it's really going to come down to, again, pragmatic delivery of value. Hmm. Right. And, I, and, if, and if I were to, uh, you know, offer one hope for Avaya is that they hold on to that, that to, you know, I think that I think that what led us here to, you know, bankruptcy 2.0 was both this sense that they were going to look too far out into the horizon while also simultaneously navel gazing. And that's a very weird, you know, place to be in where you think that you are going to be the one pushing disruption and pushing innovation into the future, yet you don't look to see what's happening around you. And I think that's what Avaya got caught in, um, if we're just being super honest about it. I think that what I am looking for in, let's say, the next six months, and arguably the next 12 months, is, again, that adherence to this is what we're delivering, this is what we've delivered, and this is what the impact is, where there's not going to be this aspirational, you know, linguistic basket weaving to try to bend over backwards to say all the great things that are happening. I expect radical transparency, right? I expect honesty in the reporting of, you know, hey, here are things that went well, here are things that didn't, but this is what we're going to do to not only keep our customers moving forward for their business, but then keeping our business moving forward as well. So, you know, I, I think it's be honest, be transparent, but be on time every time. That's the only thing that was really going to give that underpinning of trust that Avaya's customers have to have in that company. So don't get caught into the swirl of you're losing all your customers. You know, Genesis is taking all your customers away. Five nine taking all you like there's this kind of desire to get caught up into that. Um, it's instead, I would say double down that focus into what your customers are doing and where your prospects are showing interest. And if where your prospects are showing interest is in an aggressive move to cloud ensure that you have the right people and the right talent to guide that aggressive move, right? Um, if what your customers and prospects are showing is they actually want to have a far more pragmatic approach, share what that pragmatic approach is. You know, I, I think that no one really has some mystery secret sauce here in communications. We, everyone kind of has the same flavor, just different color logo sometimes. I think where Avaya can really um, step forward and lean forward is going to be in that quality, consistency, and trustworthiness of how they move forward as a company. Mm. Yeah, I think there's some really great advice there, actually, which maybe expands beyond um, Avaya, especially kind of in these maybe economic... Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that's a great place to end today's conversation. Liz, it's always great to speak to you. I learned so much. So thank you very much uh, for taking the time to speak with us. Thanks for having me, Charlie. Excellent. And also, uh, thanks to everybody for watching. Bye for now.